0: what's wrong with the productivity metric because i fought this battle and this is maybe why i don't have hair and you still do two problems you got the nibble to death by ducks problem and you got the golf course problem and the nibble to death by ducks problem is this when you look at you know the 80 20 rule in any business you can find 80 percent in the factory 80 percent of your problems are 20 percent we know that but not in sales if you look at the latest salesforce time utilization data Salespeople have a bunch of 9% problems. Planning is 9% of their time. Coaching is 9% of their time. Finding contact is 9% of their time. You know, presentation development is 9% of their time. So it's like, you're going after a bunch of 9%ers and those break down into a lot of little things. And so finding
1: the easy button is hard. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Stephen DiOrio. Stephen's the Executive Director at the Revenue Enablement Institute. And I connected with Stephen a few months ago after he sent me an article he'd written for Forbes about the new economics of field sales. And I thought it'd be fun to bring him onto the show to talk about field sales. So we don't talk about that very often, especially in light of what's happened over the past year. Now, the pandemic has been an eye-opener for many business leaders, and as Steve and I talk about, many are doubling down on changes they made during the transition to remote selling in order to try to increase client access and coverage while retaining the cost savings that they got from remote selling. And I think perhaps all that maybe is part of, of sales bosses fantasizing that they can indulge in You know how to sell more for less money, which I'm not sure that really works. But anyway, Steve and I dig into this notion of whether it's realistic to assume that remote selling can be a cure-all and drive revenue growth and improve performance and improve productivity, which leads us to another of my favorite topics, sales productivity. Now, this is a really interesting conversation about a topic that is front and center for many sales bosses. I have to admit that I personally have a fair amount of skepticism about some of this newfound enthusiasm that Leaders appear to have for remote selling. First of all, in my book, remote selling is nothing new. Sellers have been doing it since uh, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. And I think, unfortunately, in most cases, this enthusiasm for remote selling is being used as a pretext by companies to continue to underinvest in developing the talents of their sellers, which again, I don't think is a recipe for success. But anyway, take a listen to this conversation and let me know what you think. Now, before we get to Stephen, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Stephen D'Orio. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So where have you been uh, sheltering during this pandemic?
0: So I'm sheltering in Connecticut, uh, adjacent to New York City. Uh, Since I write a lot, my life hasn't changed too much, but uh, I haven't been out in front of clients uh, like most people, uh, which uh, is a
1: problem. <laughs> you say it's a problem. Why is it a problem?
0: Well, you know, I'm extroverted, like uh, most salespeople. You know, this this whole EQ aspect of Zoom meetings is really uh, the, the scientists at Wharton talk a lot about that. That you know, people who are in sales naturally gravitate to be people people, and even though you can be effective remotely, uh, obviously there's a fulfilling aspect of it <laughs> that, uh, that 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 is missing, and that's one of the big rubs, uh, really, right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I would imagine so, and I think this is this is something that that we've talked about on this show and other places is that you know maybe we've seen this this sort of false no no the early successes that were achieved during shutdown and so on were maybe sort of a false positive, and that now we're confronting sort of especially with the Potential and the very real potential of a second wave of of and a surge in COVID infections, COVID nineteen infections, the uh, possibility of secondary shutdowns is that yeah, you know, perhaps things are going to be tough sledding here for a while. That you know people are burnt out, people are are tired of being remote. They they want that human contact.
0: Well, yeah. So you can break it down. I, I mean, in listening to some of your past conversations you know, we're going to arrive at a hybrid, you know, if the chief financial officers have anything to say about it, you know, the average sales overhead attached to a good field rep is $10,000, $14,000, a lot of mm. real estate and travel. And, you know, to your point, there's been enough success selling remotely uh, that they're not giving all that money back. So it's going to wind up somewhere between the way it used to be and, and, and a fully virtual model. Uh, but I think, you know, as we're six months into it, some of the things we're learning is Zoom fatigue is a, is a scientific reality. I was just on the phone, you know, with the folks at Oculus, you know, and, and a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, the, the folks I work with at, on the faculty of Wharton. And this whole notion of AI, uh, EQ based AI uh, related to emotional quotient, is going to become a, a more important field. Uh, and moving to three dimensions and haptics and even, you know, maintaining eye contact and whiteboards. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling and hearing all these things that I want to move out of the zoom checkerboard or matrix, uh, into something that feels a little bit more fulfilling in terms of collaboration, engagement, and eye contact. And I think, you know, we're six months in, uh, we're moving down the maturity curve. So I think some type of a hybrid, uh, is going to emerge. Uh, and, and those are some of the underlying factors, uh, that I think, uh, are, 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 are going to be on the minds of, of the folks who are doing sales enablement, which I think is your focus.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly that's part of it, yeah. Um, but we speak more broadly about, about sales in general. And so you, you'd written this article in Forbes, which I saw and reached out to you and said, hey, let's talk about it, called The New Economics of Field Sales. So I think definitions are important. So how are we defining field sales for the purposes of, of the analysis that you're doing?
0: You know, that's a really good question, because really, there is no such thing as field sales anymore. That's right. That's why Uh, I was asking
1: the question. Well, I mean, there are a few few companies that have it, but the numbers diminished substantially.
0: Exactly. And so, you know, you and I look at this discipline, I think you're 40 years in, I'm 35 years in. Uh, I I was party uh, to, you know, the transformation in the 90s, where uh, folks like IBM and Geico took Mm -hmm you know, simpler transactions and put them into a call center. And I'm a real, right. you know, I think a lot of the innovation has come out of direct marketing. I think that's one of the reasons why Ring DNA is really so relevant right now is their gene pool is, is coming from the right place. Uh, and so I think if you look at it now, you know, omni-channel, you pick the, the buzzword. I think even, you know, a field sales rep is working out of their home. Uh, they're, they've been working remotely for a long time. Uh, the systems they use look and smell a lot like what was running a call center in the 90s. So I think, you know, um, it is obviously uh, a, 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 a a hybrid job. Uh, I think the things that distinguish field sales are obviously maybe uh, uh, experiential, uh, collaborative, big ticket items, uh, you know, fi- face-to-face engagement, uh, you know, Complex buying units, relationship building—some of those things have to be done face to face. You know, including these whiteboard working sessions where we're configuring and designing, you know, process equipment. Uh, and 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 I'm hearing a lot of this from industrial folks. So, you know, field sales in my mind was always uh, a highly skilled, big ticket, collaborative right. uh, type of thing. But again, I view this in terms of shades of gray and. I've got something called a channel design compass that the academics like, which is you can design any system you want just by modulating coverage, control, customer experience, and cost. So, you know, ultimately, you're absolutely right. And I don't think there's any one selling system that doesn't have four or five parts. You're seeing specialization in terms of product specialists, uh, inside sales folks, industry specialists, think about what's going on in account-based marketing and selling, you know, the roles are fragmenting and segmenting, which is a good thing. The trick is the teamwork and the cohesion, mm-hmm. uh, making it all make sense for Soak. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of long winded answers from me today because <laughs> 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 there is no black and white anymore.
1: <laughs> well, and that's, I think that's one of the points. It's one thing I started reacting to in your article is, is, you know, you'd written at one point about, you know, business leaders and I'm looking at a way to transform sales approaches you know, while retaining the cost savings they get from remote selling and sort of implied in there is that, oh, well, we woke up, you know, in the midst of this pandemic and transitioned to work from anywhere. And wow, we're saving all this money on real estate and travel. And and my first reaction to that is, well, okay, if this was such a good idea, why did it take a pandemic for companies to see the light?
0: I mean, you, the technology has
1: existed for years to be able to support this this way of selling. So it's not like Zoom is new or any of this other stuff. It's So why did it take that?
0: I, I think you've asked the most important question. And again, given the fact that you guys, you and I are almost historians here, I almost laughed. I was the first... <laughs> you keep was, dating me. <laughs> I will. I was the first sales tech, martech analyst at Gartner
1: Group. We're talking 97, now Yeah, well, C, CEB, right, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I'm like... I, I wrote a book on how sales and marketing is the te- technology is changing sales and marketing in 2001 and they still haven't done half the stuff in the book right. so uh, so I think I think you make a really really good a po- a point which is you know this is more about change management than it is about the t- technology you and I know the technology has been there uh, in, uh for decades, it works. Uh, it's worked. You know, one of the folks on my team, Jeff McKittrick, you know, ran sales and at Cisco. You know, they've had they've had WebEx for for decades. I think you got the operational thing. It's about leadership, change management, teamwork, incentives, uh, and and and, uh, and and basically economics. So if you look at what happened in the nineties, uh, mm-hmm. uh they had uh, nine thousand blue suitors. Remember that was the best sales rep in the world was an IBM-trained blue suit sales rep. Yep. They they had something they affectionately called an eight-wheel sales call. Eight sales engineers, two cars, probably $3,000 a meeting, <laughs> but they were selling mainframes at 90% margins at million-dollar transaction prices. It worked. Uh, when their average transaction size slipped to like $35,000 servers and things like that in the 90s, You know, Lou Gerstner came in and said, hey, you know, I can't sell a $35,000 server in a $2,000 sales call. Uh, and you open up the call center you play it forward over the next six years, 10 reorganizations. They took their blue suit field sales force, and that may have been the prototypical field sales force down from 9000 to 3000 mm-hmm. And they built what they called a 12,000 person teleweb, uh, right. teleweb channel, you know, IBM.com. Uh, they fused it. Uh, they used the channel. And and I think what happened there was a transaction economic model. You know, a guy like Mugerser said, well, wait a second, uh, an eight-wheel sales call cost me $3,000 a transaction, and I got to probably have many of them. And I can't sell a PC that way. Meanwhile, a call center transaction is 35 bucks, and oh, by the way, the customer experience is actually better, because all the blue suitors were selling to the proverbial veto. They ignored the guys in the cubicles who are actually buying the stuff. And so you had a transaction of $35, a better customer experience, better cross-sell. And then we started offloading transactions to the web at, Lord knows, $1. Uh, And so that economic model took that to the board. Uh, That was the most seismic shift in selling model I've, I've ever seen. And it was all driven by the economics. So this chief financial officer is a huge player in this equation. You know, they think marketing is complete BS. Uh, and sales you know market development <laughs> funds really young come on market development funds that's booze and, and, and travel and things like that and finally they, they, they so that's you know if you had up market development funds travel events and, and the real estate associated with these folks that's 10 grand boom that disappeared overnight and guess what by and large the machine kept running. Uh, you know, and and, and they're like, well, wait a second, you know, why did I need this in the first place? Why can't you be virtual? And you and I know that there are some things missing. Um, and and that's not the model, but boy, you know, they're like, Whoa, uh, so I never waste a crisis, you know? (laughs) And I think, you know, this is a transformational thing. I I had the, the head of sales who I respect at us bank said, we've had more transformation in the last five weeks than in the last five years. And I think a crisis in that regard is a good thing. And everything you and I believe should have been happening, you know, five, 10 years ago, you know, across the sales management spectrum, it's finally happening. And even things like VR and AR, which, again, we've been playing video games for a decade. Why aren't we selling, you know, aircraft engines and tractors in video games? Uh, All that stuff is actually on the table right now. So sure. you got me a little excited there, Andy. Well, no, right? but I, I think that's, that's good. good well,
1: I'm glad I did. But, I, but I still think there's sort of a fundamental issue which needs to be addressed, which is that, yeah, CFOs and sales leaders get excited. You, know, you you sort of referred to this in your article about, you know, they're looking for ways to sell more for less. And so they've embraced this idea that virtual selling is the way to do it. But first of all, I think there's a, a problem trying to sell... Two problems at once, which is selling more and selling less, selling for less. But we have this—the primary issue in sales right now, across the board, is people just aren't. Our productivity and performance is dropping in B two B sales. I mean, if you look at the data points that we by, have, by twenty
0: percent, my numbers. We did a big study. Twenty percent drop uh, with the adoption of remote selling. So it's not perfect. Zero uh, sure. so, percent of the cost and eighty percent of the productivity.
1: But well, yeah, well, we have hard uh, numbers. Eighty percent of the performance, right? So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I mean, I I don't think we can solve two problems at once. But it seems like for me, and I get the sense from your article because you know that you're obviously talking to a lot of the CFOs and so on in your work. But is yeah, we want to <laughs> we want to harvest savings from sales. But on the other hand, sales is performing like crap. So yeah, yeah. why aren't we, yeah, are we reinvesting it, it, that money into helping sales sell more? And the technology itself doesn't sell. So we we still have this human issue in sales: is how do we make our human sellers better?
0: You zeroed in on it. You know, let's 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 look at the basic facts. You can't cut your way to growth, and everybody knows that they'll take as much as they can. But I think what's really interesting here is if you look at what we invest in our salespeople. The things that can create the productivity you're talking about and value are training and technology. And yes, by and large, the return on technology assets is painfully low. Most of these stacks are running on one or two cylinders. But that said, if I had to look at the portfolio of investment, uh, real estate, travel, things like that, training and tech, even though we're paying $100 a seat for Salesforce or Gong, it's still a fraction of the budget. And in my view, if I look at that portfolio, you could double training and double tech. And I think you you know from experience, I have a good, there's a good chance. That's where the leverage is. That's where the leverage and productivity is going to come from. Building more sales offices, traveling more. I don't know. Some, yes. But I'm looking at that portfolio saying, where is the real engine of productivity and innovation? It's in training and tech. And I could double those budgets um, and still... Come out with lower cost to sell, so you know you can have your cake and eat it too to some degree. But the big thing is, is people have to believe that training and technology uh, are really going to drive that transformation. And again, uh, if you look at you know what Ring DNA does, uh, a lot of the sales and admin technologies they work. And any sales apps guy or gal knows what to do. It's a board level issue. Management has to commit to being data driven. Management has to commit to you know building a uh, you're building out a tech stack that makes sales more effective and the skills and that's what really beggars my mind you know uh, and I know people have a lot of flexibility now to reconfigure real estate portfolios great hoteling and hybrid version vo- mm. but for me I think and I'd love to hear your perspective on it is I believe that investment in technology and training and development and obviously integrating those together is a much better bet uh, and and uh, I think the track record uh, and accountability of what we're getting, you know, the return on data, uh, the return on technology, return on content. And I know you and I are both, you know, con- content is the engine that makes sales run right now, is phenomenally low. So we're kind of shooting ourselves in our own foot. It shouldn't be. But even, even with the current returns, I think a bet in training and technology, double that. And and reinvesting into that, at least doubling that, should improve coverage, control, speed, visibility, and engagement. I mean, I think the math works even in a you know even in a bogey scenario. I think the math works.
1: Well, but here's so here's so let's dive into that. So let's take training for instance, because this has been one of my big bugaboos. Is you know we invest, we have all this data that's you know CSO insights, uh, and uh, you referred to data, and so we've got these data points to say. B2B sales performance is, is dropping. And this is predates the the pandemic by years. So I think it's seven or eight years in a row that CSO insights has reported this dropping. And at the same time we're spending 20 billion dollars a year in sales training in the United States. And so you can make the argument that well, I mean this is not necessarily a correlation but or but we're investing 20 billion dollars and we're getting less performance out of our our sellers. And during the same time we're investing billions in the sales technology and we're also seeing a drop in sales performance. So what's that telling us, right? it's, It's clear at some point is A, the training is misdirected and ineffective in a substantive way and technologies are great but we still don't know how to use them. In a way to generate a return, because again, if you look at um, yeah, if you look at productivity gains throughout our economy and the returns based on on innovation, technology, and I, Paul Krugman wrote about this several months ago in the New York Times, is it's basically flattened since the year 2000. You know, we had this steep growth in productivity driven by technology in the 80s and 90s. And then it's sort of productivity growth is sort of flattened to like 1.25% a year or something like that, despite all this new technology coming into the, the space. And it's like, well, what's going on here? And, and you sort of look at it and you say, well, hmm, well, the real drivers and productivity improvement and sales, assuming sales tracks the economy and sort of large, were email and broadband. And, and since then, we haven't really taken advantage of the technology that's come into the space to improve productivity.
0: You have gotten to the core issue, and I've wrestled with this Gordian knot for decades, and I've got a very strong point of view. One, mm-hmm. uh, we're fighting the battle at the wrong altitude. Uh, for good and bad reasons, the tech stack is a f- fragmented, you know it, it's fragmented, siloed. Functional silos, it's a bunch of parts. It's like if you had an engine on the ground and their carburetor and the cylinders were all spread out on your garage floor. Um, and the, the the fundamental issue where value is being created, and that's why categories like revenue acceleration and what you guys are doing at Ring is really resonating. It's all about connecting the dots. Everybody, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the research, most enterprises have 20. Solutions that cover coaching, development, playbooks, the pieces, now sales AI, and things like that. And I think the short answer to your question is executives have to take a top down look at the portfolio, just like your stocks, just like your engine, and really examine how they work together. Uh, and if you want to, and, 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 our, and our big thesis, and the reason we play this game at the board level. Mm -hmm. Uh, is that this is about connecting the dots. We have a picture. There's only five ways to create value. Better management insights, uh, affecting the four Ps, you know, price, promotion, packaging, Mm -hmm. personalization, uh, sales resource allocation, putting the right resources in the right place, lots of leverage there, making the channels perform better, like what you do with automation and assists, and making the team perform better. There's only, you know, at at 20,000 feet, there's only five ways to create value. And you've got this whole stack. And when I look at a piece of technology, you know, sales AI, content optimization, and LMS, it's three steps to value. I could have intent data on the left. I could be pulling something out of conversational intelligence in your solution. But if that information doesn't get processed and moved to somebody who can do something about it, and that's at least a three-step process in a modern sales stack. And so the big answer to your question is the game has changed to creating federated ecosystems that connect the dots to solve the same six fundamental sales problems. So I'll break down the training problem. If you sure. think about the training stack, everyone's got an, at, at the bottom layer, you got an LMS. Now you've got these, you know, coaching programs, uh, you know, the the recording programs, all sorts of great innovation, MindTickle, Lego. Uh, guys doing great things out there in the middle you've got the digital asset management guys the sales playbook they're supposed to be training on the repository the measurements the recommendations and at the top uh, we're taking this conversational intelligence and <clears throat> this 30-fold increase in engagement data and we're starting to say who's doing what who's applying these lessons in sales calls how is this working what are the skill gaps and then finally a, a feedback loop down to training, learning in the moment, uh, reinforcement, which is such a big thing. Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. outlined 12 different solutions uh, that should be a closed loop process. I train, I run the play, I see how the play worked, I go back and reinforce and get better. That's a pretty simple process and there's no reason on earth that those shouldn't be connected. Why a sales manager can't see, I know Bob took the training, and I can see from conversational intelligence that he actually applied the training. Mm-hmm. And there's some places he did it wrong, and I'm going to go back and fix those things. He has all the tools to do that. Nobody in the organization, and I'm not talking about a czar or something like that, but you know, sales ops folks know what to do, but they're just not looking at the whole portfolio. So, you know, Jeff McKittrick on our team at uh, Hitachi Vantara, he took a look at that. He connected those dots and he, you know, he barely got out of first year, and he won serious decisions, sales Enablement executive of the year. And he almost laughs. He goes, it was so simple. I was just connecting the carburetor to the spark plug, to the, you know, to the cylinder. Sure. And, and, and we're barely even, you know, the types of things that, that, that your solution could do and what you call revenue acceleration, that's high maturity stuff. Uh, most of the, we think we're driving a Formula One race car. In fact, you know, I would argue your solution is a Formula One race car, but but in reality, the guy running the race are firing on one or two cylinders, the guy who's going to win the race is going to fire on three cylinders. So we got to stair-step our way into this. So well, I'll back off and say, you asked a hard question. And I think when you're really gaming out, it's about connecting the dots, That not new technology. Most of the technology is there, uh, but it's about connecting the dots. The only caveat would be, I think this analytics revolution is going to be the glue that makes it easy for us to connect the dots. And I think that's what's really going on in the revenue acceleration category, or you you name it. The voc- we don't have a vocabulary sure. to even describe this. So I'll pause, but I think you've asked a really good question, and I think that's the one single
1: answer, connect the dots. Well, to me, it seems like there's a dot that that isn't often thought of and isn't connected, which to me drives, <laughs> has the potential to drive uh, you know, substantive improvements in in sales performance and and some people call it effectiveness but but i I call it sales productivity so for me and I've been doing this for for decades and in the way I've managed companies and so on is is sales teams is that you know productivity is a a rate of output per unit of input right and and for me, if you really want to define what productivity is we should be looking at okay well how much revenue can a seller produce for an hour of sales time and that's yeah. that is the fundamental unit that we should be trying to improve yeah. instead <laughs> yeah. we right. talk about you know let's add more sales time what's it's like well no that's not moving the needle in fact i i've had this conversation with several people that have been around for a while like myself and you and and so on and and my belief is is that you know that measure of productivity even with all the technology we've brought into the space is no higher today than it was 30 40 years ago
0: I, 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 you're absolutely right and again you are zeroed in on a fundamental issue we're dealing with flawed metrics and when you unpack the metric conundrum uh, you know I, I I in the 90s I just flipped sGNA and I, I can't. You know, the cost to sell metric. Mm-hmm. Uh, for every dollar of sales and marketing and tech, you're getting. You know, Dell was getting eight dollars. IBM was getting four. That picture made it to the boardroom. And right. unpacking that picture is powerful, but that doesn't get at it. And sales productivity. I've built these models. Uh, it's a flawed metric. And guys like Steve Lucas, uh, who really is an impressive fellow. He doubled. He doubled Marketo and profitability in, in a year. You know and, and 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 folks who really run big sales organizations at the top say the metrics are flawed. But let me tell you what's wrong with the productivity metric, because I fought this battle and this is maybe why I don't have hair and you still do. Um <laughs> two problems. You got the nibble to death by ducks problem and you got the golf course problem. All
1: right, and well, the nibble to death first, by yep. ducks
0: problem is this. When you look at you know the eighty twenty rule in any business you can find in the factory, 80% of your problems are 20%. We know that, but not in sales. If you look at the latest Salesforce time utilization data, salespeople have a bunch of 9% problems. Planning is 9% of their time. Uh, Coaching is 9% of their time. Finding contact is 9% of their time. You know, uh, presentation development is 9% of their time. 9% of their time. So it's like, you're going after a bunch of nine percenters, and those break down into a lot of little things. And so, finding the easy button is hard. And then you got the golf course problem, which is, hey, guess what? I just did free up half your time. Are they spending it on the golf course, or are they spending it? Um, are they spending it actually selling more? Uh, and, and we've kind of solved that problem, you know, with conversational intelligence and you know the maddening pace of virtual selling now. But still. You know, uh, but but still, it's a really difficult metric. Uh, we wrote an article uh, with a bunch of sales and marketing leaders, and they're saying we should be doing something different. We should be taking this engagement data. And when I talk about this engagement data, there's a revolution of engagement data. Uh, email data, content data, you know, where content goes, the calendar data from from T, and, and the conversational intelligence data and the first party data that we're pulling out of out of these systems, we have a 30-fold increase in data about what salespeople are doing every day, every minute, in every minute of a sales call. That just wasn't there five years ago. Sure. Uh, and there's the a revolution. And so what what are you going to do with this data? Are you going to spy on people? No. What the smart people are saying is think about Nadia Comaneci, uh, you know, gymnastics or or ice skating. You tell me what a 10 looks like in terms of three things, uh, sales effectiveness, pipeline health, account health, and aggregate those metrics. For example, uh, a healthy account has a lot of engagement, a lot of stakeholders involved, a lot of response, good meetings. Uh, they keep their meetings. Uh, they share the content. Uh, they're, they're engaged regularly. You could almost build an EKG any, any customer success person could build an EKG of what a healthy account looks like. We have that data. We should be rating what What Steve Lucas says is define a 10. If an account falls below a 9, ring the alarm bells. Same thing with a sales rep. Think about that. I can see how they're spending their time, you know, between customers, uh, between uh all these different things, and we're not spying on them, but there's a healthy mix of activity that suggests they're they're executing probably. Define what a productive rep is, uh, and again, I'm agnostic as to whether that's a customer
1: well, success person or I whatever. Don't, well, I, don't, I don't. But here's the issue, and this is the reason I think why productivity is so important. Is is it's it's almost immaterial to some degree what how productive someone is today. I'm more concerned about the rate of improvement. And so and so because i'm I'm not sure objectively how we measure productivity if we're talking other than the fact that I can collect data, and I've done that I was doing this back in the nineties with teams I ran, I knew exactly how many hours it took of selling time and sales engineer time and so on to produce a dollar revenue and and so you know when people talk about as you've referred to as before is yeah you know we've got this accelerated pace of selling, it's like, okay, yeah was looking at a deal not that long ago, a uh, deal review, and people are talking, oh, close this you know, wonderful target account. And I looked at the number of sales hours involved in making it happen. And the first thing that popped in my head is, well, this is not scalable. So by just de facto, that was unproductive effort in order to capture this big deal. If we don't learn from the experience to say, because it wasn't right now, yeah, you know, people focus on they always challenge sales leaders and CEOs and this is you know, they talk about their sales cycle. I say, well, but the sales cycle is is, is a meaningless statistic well, or metric absolutely, some... absolutely. Because because what's meaningful is how many hours you had to invest to bring that deal from initial point of interest to close. And that could take place over a month or it could take place over six months. But if you add those hours together then you start being able to say okay now i can start mapping out what theoretical performance we should be able to achieve because if i know an hour of selling time is actually going to generate this much revenue then i can put put together a model that says yeah this is our path to growth because this is how we're going to improve the productivity of the individual but we have no focus on that and i think you know we can we can apply all the technology in the world we want But if we don't have a common definition in sales of what productivity means, then we're still going to be fighting this battle twenty years from now.
0: Uh, I think you're asking a very complicated question, and we can get into it a lot. I I think one is the metrics uh, of of defining, and it's bespoke to every organization. You know what you know teamwork. What is it that that you need to be doing to build lifetime value for the customer? Uh, it, so let's break down the three fundamentals underlying some of your important points. Mm-hmm. One is you can't coach output; you can only coach activity. So you know it's easy to say you know hit this number every month, uh, but you can only coach uh, the, 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 the activities. Uh, the good news is well, I think we you have, coach
1: you coach behaviors,
0: behave, behaviors and activities. That's what what I meant. Uh, the, but but if you thought about it, a, a ride along. Used to be a really expensive thing. You know, you, you, you check in on your folks. You'd hear how the meeting went. You wouldn't hear it firsthand like you can today. Sure. And then you go along for ride-alongs and you give them some guidance. So the, this revolution of data is giving sales managers full transparency down to the minute and the word in sales calls. Second, you've got a couple of things: evaluation. We have a way to evaluate. This is where you screwed up in the sales meeting. This is where. The client's face, one you know, arm, arms crossed. This is where you went off script, or this is what worked. Uh, so automated evaluation is great, and also prioritization. You know why are you chasing this lead? Why are you choosing to spend your time here versus here? So I think when you break it down, the potential is there to use this information to make people better. I think you made an important point, which is you know onboarding and ramping and making people better. Measuring productivity is one thing, but you're saying, "How are we going to make it better?" So I, obviously, it's a coaching problem, uh, it's an incentive problem. But the, the the I would argue that the granularity in which I can go in and specifically point uh, a lot of the folks, smart folks, are saying teaching happens in the moment, you know, not post facto. You know, sure. how did the meeting go? And so, what gets me excited, and I think we have to acknowledge all the flaws you are pointed out is managers do have tools and leverage that let them isolate the places. This lead wasn't going to close. You shouldn't have followed up on it. Uh, I've heard people tell me that when they, they, they quartile RFPs and reject the bottom quartile, productivity goes through the roof. It's hard. Uh, you tell me, you know, a lead is an asset. It's an insurance policy. It makes me go to sleep at night. The last thing I want to do is turn away a lead, but that's actually the driver of productivity. Sure. You can be rational about those types of things. So I'm super well, but excited that's about the
1: potential. But a lot of this gets done with compensation incentives. I mean, there are managers who are incented or incentivized by uh, the size of their pipeline well, I and, would agree. And, and pipeline coverage ratios, which is, you know, a, a perverse incentive. Um and you know it gets back to compensation again for even for individual sellers is back to this notion of of productivity. I mean, think how much more effective it would be if instead of saying, look, we're gonna pay you a commission, which is basically you know piecework, we're, we're paying you on piecework, uh, like a factory worker.
0: It, that's a crude metric, and I think you've got it. And and SQLs and MQLs are flawed. I haven't met a progressive executive who thinks that that's, that's got to be abandoned. Right. The unit of production is just wrong in, right. a, in, so, a, in a
1: fast world. Right, but if you looked at productivity in the way that I talked about and said, look, i got a measure for you. I know that when you're engaged in sales, this is, this is the amount of, you know, amount of revenue you're generating per, let's say, hour of selling time. Your incentive is going to be based on improving that number that unit of how much dollars of revenue you generate per hour of selling time. Now, suddenly, somebody has an incentive to seek out training, if not get more serious about the training they're provided, but to seek out the type of training that will help them become more effective. If coaches were you know, geared more towards that type of, of focus, I think we'd transform, have the opportunity, let's say, to transform sales. If we just align incentives to the place we want them to go. I, I, we're, we're so I, stuck in the past.
0: You're stuck in the past. Uh, change management and inertia. Uh, you know, I even see myself falling into it. And I think what what Steve Lucas says with his customer engagement metrics, and the reason I think this battle has to be fought at the top is you've oh, got to get someone at the top of the organization to craft. I mean, think about it, you're providing them a paint set and a palette. Just didn't have five years ago to craft beautiful compensation schemes that reflect real customer value and lifetime value. For example, the service folks need to be emphasized. they're always deemphasized you know and, and the frontline guys who are creating digital signals of buying or attrition need to be motivated and incentive to throw that over to the right person. So you know the, the, the metrics are crude and asymmetrical. I would argue that most of the value is being created in the back end of the process, cross-sell retention in a SaaS model. And I think digital marketing sure. is saying, hey, there are signals. Yeah, I know some of these digital marketing people are, are ridiculous, but at the end of the day, they're sitting upon signals and data that can make the whole engine run. And they need to be motivated uh, just you know, by the same to, to, to do the right thing. So I think this is almost like an impressionist painting. And it's got to come from the top. And it's well, technically absolutely. possible. It's technically possible. That's what bothers me. But someone at the top has to say, I'm abandoning the MQL. Robin Matlock has a great video where she just rants about this. And she, and she <laughs> works at uh, uh, Dell uh, uh, VMware. And she is, I think, at the vanguard of creating measurement schemes that are really reflective of how value is created on an activity level Regardless of whether you're sales, marketing, service, or account management, and I think you know that's where it's got to go. That's a huge change management problem. I don't want to sound like I'm Pollyanna, but when you and remember, Steve Lucas was a CEO; he wasn't head of sales, and he had to sure. make it
1: happen. Well, but I think you're absolutely right, though. And let's let's take a step back. I mean, let's look at you talked about coaching. Let's say you know this is an activity that everybody acknowledges is perhaps the thing that more than anything uh, moves the needle in individual sales performance. Uh, we now have all this technology, recorded calls, conversational intelligence, conversational AI, as we have at Ring DNA, that that provide great tools to be able to, to facilitate that, and yet it's it's not happening at the level that it should, and partly because managers are also saying, well, gosh, I'm being distracted by all these other things I need to be able to do, I report to my bosses, yada yada yada, and so I give an example. I said, well, okay, fine, you know, sales is performance based. Profession, just like sports. So, if you look at a professional sports team, they have a roster of specialized coaches, right? That that uh, and I spare the audience my analogy with with soccer because I give it all the time. But but you oh, know. you're
0: talking to a, 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 I'm Italian, so you can talk soccer okay, all, all right. day so,
1: long. <laughs> okay, but the point being is that you look at the coaching staff of a professional sports organization. And they've got these specialized coaches that whose job is very finite. And so, you know, yeah, I advocate that maybe sales managers shouldn't be coaches. Why don't we hire coaches, professional coaches, into sales organizations? But you'll get the pushback from the CFO saying, well, what's the payback on that? Well, the payback's maybe two years down the road. But we have to fundamentally restructure, and we may have more costs now But if the impact is we generate substantially more profit through increased sales, then it's going to be more than worth it. But what I see is a repeated pattern over decades of top leaders refusing to invest, even consider investing, and radically restructuring sales uh, to become more productive. And so we're just repeating the same mistakes we've done for decades.
0: You know, I, I'm in the business of effect and change, as you are. These are very difficult problems, Andy. And I think I want to go back to the very beginning of this conversation. Well, I, I'm, I, my daughter's daughter's taking history class. And uh-huh. I'm, I take a skeptic's view of history. I say, whenever you look at a history event, think about the money. Follow the money trail. You know, the, the founding fathers were, were, were in debt to England for millions of dollars. They were highly motivated to to, to, to secede from the union. Um So let's go back to what what I say. Economics drives everything. And the CFO matters not because they're draconian and they're just dying to cut these discretionary budgets, but they have to see the economic business. I'm fascinated by professional football and soccer because the economics are such that you can have 10 coaches. I think you nailed it. It's an economic proposition, which is winning that game or playing a little bit better means a lot of money. It also means a lot of money Uh, to sales organizations, but that's not a generally accepted truth. The prevailing wisdom is a lot of sales and marketing funds are vanity. They're afraid to cut them. They're soft. Uh, And one of my six big trends is this notion towards attribution. I'm a Mm -hmm. member of MASB, uh, the Marketing Accountability Standards Board. Uh, I'm a big leader in connecting sales and marketing to share price. Because, in fact, when we go to the board level, if you cannot connect uh, a sales enablement system, a data investment, a training investment to share price—you're not going to affect the train. So at the it changes. So at the end of the day, I think one of the things you're saying about sports is that there's no general acknowledgement in the business world that there's economic value in training, and I think that's the rub of it. And somebody has to wake up and realize that the same love of coaching on an offensive line or or for a soccer midfielder. Uh, is relevant to a salesperson, change isn't going to happen. So I'm really all about making the change happen, Uh, even though, you know, as you point out, these are very nuanced, persistent, and difficult problems. Uh, I'm just trying to find a way to move. And I think this crisis and the fact that folks are real, if they realize in the first half of the equation, which is I can sell virtually pretty effectively, 20% less. But they have to realize the second part of the equation: that every dollar I pump into training, development, and technology that makes that happen is the best investment I could be making. There is no conventional wisdom on that front, and I think that gets to the core mm. of the frustration that you and I
1: have. Right,
0: and not you and I; it's a speaking for anybody who runs <laughs> Yeah, we're speaking force. as, as <laughs>
1: advocates. Yeah. All right. Well, Stephen, thank you very much. This has been great. Uh, we'll have to do make sure we do this again. Um, so if people want to find out more about the Revenue Enablement Institute, what should they do?
0: Well, the Revenue Enablement Institute um, is uh, what, what I view as, as some of the smartest people in the world from academia, uh, practitioners, and experts. You know, you belong in the club. Uh, coming together to find ways to solve these problems. If I do my job right, I'm the stupidest guy in the company, and so far I am. Uh, <laughs> you can reach us at revenueenablement.com uh, as I mentioned, and have you figured out, Andy, I'm a nerd. Uh, I fight battles with data. Uh, and the reason I need that data is I'm trying to convince boards, CEOs, and CFOs of the things that you and your constituents in sales ops understand. Uh, and so you can reach us at Uh We've done some of this, a lot of this research is available there. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and in particular, we're focused on three federations. The one we're talking about today which I think you might be interested in, is integrated learning and development. Uh, We've built a blueprint for how you connect those dots. Another one is the digital selling platform, and the third is data-driven selling. And all this is is like a a shoots and ladder game uh, or checkerboard on how you connect the dots uh, to double coverage, control, customer experience, visibility, and engagement. All right. So uh, that's our mission. Connect the dots. I, I believe, you know, what you folks are doing at ReamDNA is a big part of that. And probably it's the reason why it's so hard to describe the value you create. You know, people get it in their belly, uh, but but I think a checkerboard is a much better way to explain how you make all the pieces work together. So I appreciate the time. Uh well, love to come
1: back again. Yeah, well I said we'll make sure we have it. Make it happen. So all right, Stephen, thank you. Thanks so much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Stephen DiOrio for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.